the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. So, to begin our sermon today, I figured I could start with a joke because, you know, dad jokes and all that. Um, so, here's the joke. A man and his wife and his mother-in-law went on a trip to Israel. While there, the mother-in-law died. The local church offered two options to the man, said that he could fly his mother-in-law home for $5,000 or he could bury her in Israel for $150. And the man chose to fly the mother-in-law home. And the pastor in Israel said, why would you spend all that money to fly her home? And the man answered, well, 2,000 years ago a man died here in Jerusalem and three days later he was resurrected. I just cannot take that chance. <laughs> so, joke courtesy of Jean Bogan, but also note to my two sons-in-law, you can bury me in Jerusalem, that would be all right. But ask yourself, as a result of that, can you take the chance that Jesus was resurrected? Can you, in your mind, wrap yourself around that? Like the Swedish pop group ABBA, yes, daddy, but also a pop group, said, take a chance on me. If you put me to the test, take a chance on me. So that's what we'll be thinking about today in our sermon. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus sees the people harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. So he's talking about being harassed, about feeling helpless, and this wanderingness of sheep, right? When we think of feeling harassed, it's usually about harassed by others, right? Your boss is harassing you to do more work or your kids are harassing you to buy more stuff, your spouse is harassing you to do more of your share of work around the house, your friends are harassing you to be more fun, like you used to be before you had kids, a mortgage, and a big job to pay for all that stuff. You feel harassed to spend your time off with extended family when honestly you really would want to just stay home and do nothing. The dog harasses you to go outside, and then harasses you to come inside, and then harasses you to go back outside again, or if you're like our dog, he does that. The definition of harass is demand, this demand. We're surrounded by demands, right? We hear demand all around us. Demands to do things, to measure up, to do the right thing, to say the right thing, to not be lazy, to not mess up. And the most incessant demands are not from around us because those demands go right inside of us and that is where the demands become the loudest within our own minds and hearts we want to be understood and have people love us and be on our side you know when the boss starts your annual review with an opportunity for growth you hear that you're about to be fired the spouse sighs when you mention a holiday with your side of the family and your heart clenches with anxiety. A simple text can start up a narrative in your thoughts of hurt and blame. Our minds loop and loop with the constant demand for a more perfectly performing version of ourselves. The one who won't feel afraid, won't feel anxious, won't overreact or underreact won't misread the situation. In other words, the one who has it all together and that everyone likes. 
You know, there's a very powerful force at work here. It is the power of the law. We are helpless in the face of the power of the demands of life that tell us to be invincible, to be self-sufficient, to be invulnerable, to never make a mistake. Under the great weight of these demands, our thoughts become like sheep, skittish sheep, following after anything that comes along that we think can save us, rambling down rabbit holes and sinkholes. Try to listen to your thoughts for just two minutes. You'll notice that your own personal color commentary is like a puppy chasing squirrels rarely includes thoughts of anyone else. You know, people that are new to a meditation practice call this the monkey mind, which is unsettled, restless, confused. Think about your thoughts you might be having even during this sermon. So what does that chatter sound like? So I don't know if you've ever seen the, the movie The Informant. It's about Mark Whitaker, who worked for the... Um, ADM, Archer Daniels Midland, and it's a true story about a man who is working with the FBI to ferret out the corporate greed and, um, and fraud that's going on in that company. But while he's doing this with the FBI, he's also like embezzling $9 million on the side for himself. Now, what's interesting and the most fascinating part of this movie to me is that the entire thing is in stream of consciousness of him just thinking. And you're listening to what he's thinking. It's kind of hilarious, but you also kind of think, oh no, that's kind of me. Um, so here's an example of the FBI agents have sat down with him. They're very serious and intense FBI agents. And they're trying to tell him what kind of information he needs to glean from these meetings. Meanwhile, you're hearing Mark Whitaker's um, brain and what he's saying to himself while these FBI agents are going through all of the wire and all of those things. This is what he's thinking. I like my hands. I think they're my favorite part of my body. In fact, if I can get these people focused on my hands, I could get a really good result from this meeting. Eye contact's important too. You know when polar bears hunt, they crouch down by a hole in the ice and they wait for a seal to just pop up and then they keep one paw over their nose so they blend in because they've got those black noses and they would blend in perfectly if it wasn't for the nose. So how do they know their noses are black? From looking at other polar bears? I mean, do they see the reflections in the water and think, well, I'd be invisible if it wasn't for that nose? But that seems like a lot of thinking for a bear. Okay, so now tell me that you're not either thinking of your hands or a polar bear. <laughs> your little sheep of a brain just followed me right down there, didn't it? So this is a character, and it's a true story, of what it's like to be human at the mercy of our sheep-like thoughts, just ambling around looking for a shepherd. So Mark Whitaker's thoughts, like ours, are, are just sheep wandering about without direction or purpose. When Jesus looks out and sees the people harassed and made helpless by their own thoughts, he has compassion on them. He loves them. He asks his disciples to preach the gospel to them. What is the gospel and how will it help these harassed and helpless people? It's because we're commanded to love God with all our mind. How do we do that without the gospel? 
You know, in Martin Luther's preface to the Book of Romans, he wrote that God judges according to what's at the bottom of the heart, and his law makes its demands on the innermost heart. So these demands and harassment that we feel in the world are really just reverberations of the fear at the bottom of our hearts that we are not enough, that we have been judged inadequate. And you know what? It's true. It's true. That settles it down just a little bit, to know that it's true, you're not enough. Without Christ, you're not enough to withstand the demands and the vagaries of life. This is why the thought, I'm not enough, terrorizes us. Without trust in God as your creator, your savior, your friend, you're not enough. So despite your fierce desire for complete independence, you are eternally dependent on God and not self-sufficient like you want to be. We're harassed and helpless because we want to do it ourselves instead of surrendering our minds and hearts to Christ. This passage from Matthew assures us that Christ sees us as helpless, as wanderers, as sheep. But he sees us with eyes of great love and reaches out to us through the cross with compassion. So I want to close with a message to a friend who asked me a few weeks ago. She said, I believe in God and all that, but I don't understand why Jesus had to die on the cross in such a horrific, bloody way. Why'd that have to happen? What's the point of all that? So here's my reply. Throughout history, there have been deities and idols that have claimed that a person can get to a more spiritual level by being good. Aristotle claimed to know that what is right is equivalent with being able to do it, that a human being becomes good by doing good deeds. You've heard it said that the Buddha said life is suffering and described that suffering in detail, but did not experience suffering. There's no leader who surrendered to suffering as a sign of solidarity and love with us other than Christ. Jesus Christ suffered on the cross so that you would know that you are never alone in your suffering. You have a suffering servant in Christ who meets you in any hardship, at the depths of your helplessness, in the middle of your painful wandering, and is the shepherd to your sheep thoughts. Martin Luther wrote, Man is pronounced good by God only when he comes to the end of his failed efforts. That the whole point of Christianity is God's forgiveness of our failures, not his approval of our successes. So being loved is not about being good, but about the one who loves being faithful. When you are unconditionally loved and forgiven, the demands and the harassment can be faced and fade into the background. When you know that there are no missteps big enough or pitfalls deep enough where love can't find you, you are safe to love. Jesus suffered to lead you like a lamb out of the quicksand of helplessness and hopelessness into acceptance and belonging. So call on him.
from the rabbit hole of your mind, and you will be given the peace that passes all thoughts, all demands, all understanding. Like Abba saying, can you put Christ to the test and take a chance on him to love you, forgive you, accept you? He took the biggest chance of all to love you. Amen.